Okay. We are starting our brief series called Bible Answers for Life's Questions. The question that was asked that has spawned the study we're going to be doing actually for the next four weeks is the question um, that went like this. How do I study? I read Ezra and Nehemiah, and I can't get past all the chronologies or the genealogies that are listed there. How many of you have ever been going through a Bible reading program, and you get to those parts of the Bible where so-and-so whose name you can't pronounce begot so-and-so whose name you can't pronounce begot so-and-so, and there's about three columns of all these begots and begats, okay? How do you, when you're, when you're studying the Bible, how do you go through all that? I mean, does God really speak to us through all the begets and begots and the these and the thous? And, and, and the answer is He does. So, what I wanted to do, and, and I wish I could do this. I, I was talking to my wife the other day, and I said, you know, <coughs> I love this time of the year and this style of a series, and unless God changes my mind, we're probably going to do it every summer, because I love the challenge of taking on these questions. Uh, and by the way, if you still have questions, you can still submit them and put them in, in the bowl over here, and we'll get to them. However, normally when we ask a question, like everything else in our fast food life, we want the quick answer. Okay, How do I do this? Tell me in three sentences or less how I can study the Bible so I understand things like that. I told my wife the other day, I said, how do I do this? I spent four years in undergraduate work, two years in grad school learning how to study the Bible. How do I answer this question in 30 minutes? And the truth is, I can't. Now, I can't give you six years worth of Bible college work. However, I have condensed it down into a four-part series that I've actually taught before called How to Study the Bible with Life-Changing Results. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next four weeks, and I'm going to answer this question. Now, there were a couple of other questions that were asked that will also be answered in this series. The first question was, how do I study? The second question that came up was, I have been told that Paul contradicts Jesus in some of his writings. Is that true? Well, the quick answer is, no, that's not true. If there are any contradictions in the Bible, then there's no need to learn how to study it because it won't be any good anyway. However, it's a legitimate question. There are apparent contradictions in the Bible. So what I'm hoping we can do is as we learn how to study, that question will be answered for you as well. How do I handle apparent contradictions in the Bible? Well, it's primarily handled based upon interpreting and studying the Bible the right way. So we'll deal with that. The third question was, and this one we may actually, down in one of these lessons, we may actually address this specifically. But the question was, how do we reconcile or explain to an unsaved person the wrathful God of the Old Testament, the God who allowed whole nations to be wiped out and commanded the kings that you kill everybody in the town, how do you reconcile a God who gave that kind of command with the God of the New Testament, who primarily through Christ is expressing love and grace and mercy. Is that the same God? And if it is, 
why did he do what he did in the Old Testament, and how come he's not doing it in the New Testament? Okay, how do you reconcile that, and how do you explain that to a non-Christian when they begin to talk to you? So <coughs> we're gonna we'll, we'll answer that question too. So I'm gonna take all three of them, and we're gonna try and answer all three of those over the next four weeks. Okay, does everybody understand? So if, if you ask those questions. Keep your ears open for the answers as we go along, uh, because they'll be in here, okay? We are going to start today with Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read two verses, verses 12 and 13, and then I'm going to give you some basic aspects of Bible study, and then we'll spend the rest of our time talking about the first one, okay? Well, first of all, let's read the scripture. Hebrews 4, verse number 12. The Bible says, for the word of God is living and active. By the way, you can stop right there. That statement in itself separates the Bible from every other book that has ever been given to mankind. This book is living and active. It works. And we'll talk more about what that means as we go along. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints, and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Stop there. <clears throat> the Bible is not only living and active. The Bible is a tool used by the Spirit of God literally to dissect the inner man. It's not just a science book or a history book or a philosophy book that gives some intellectual ideas. It literally is a living, active tool that dissects my inner person. You want to know anything there is to know about the human heart, the Bible teaches us about it. It tells us how to deal with it. It tells us how to handle it. For ultimately, the Bible says, as a man, a human being, thinks in their heart, that's what they're like. Proverbs chapter 4 says, guard your heart, because out of it come every issue that affects you in life. The heart is the center of the human life. If I affect the heart, I affect the life. So the Bible is not only a living and an active book, the Bible is a powerful dissecting tool used by God to help change our lives by addressing our heart. Okay? No other book can do that. No other book claims to be able to do that. All right, let's keep going. Look at verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Now, you say, Bill, why did you throw that last verse in when it comes to the Bible? I mean, verse 12 pretty much covers the Bible. It tells us the characteristics of this book that we're about to learn how to study. I gave you the second verse because it follows up in context the one we just read about the Bible. I know that the Bible is capable of addressing and meeting every need of my life at the time in which I need it for one main reason. Because the very next verse says, nothing in my life is hidden from the eyes of God with whom one day I will give an account. So if the Bible is living and active, if the Bible is a tool that God uses to dissect and help me in my life by addressing my heart, 
and nothing is hidden from God, then I can trust this book. When I don't know what to do, I can go to it and read it knowing at the point at which I read it, God will use it however He chooses to tell me what to do. Because it's living, it's active, it is a tool He uses to do that, and He knows everything about me. So, those two verses become the key to beginning to learn how to study the Bible. Now, there are four basic aspects of Bible study. Let me give them to you real quick. They're written in your notes. First of all, observation. We're going to talk about that for just a few minutes this morning. Observation deals with the fact that we must accept certain primary truths about the Bible. You'll never be able to study the Bible the way God intended for it to be studied if we, first of all, by faith, don't accept and believe certain facts about the Bible. Remember, it is not a normal book. So there are certain things about the Bible we have to accept as being unique to the Bible. If we don't, if we take the Bible and we throw it on a bookshelf in a library and treat it as any other volume written by a human being, you'll never understand it because it's not that kind of a book. So we're going to talk about some of those today. That's what observation is. That's where you begin. Second of all, meditation. Now, what does this deal with? This deals with the question, what, what am I looking for? When I study the Bible, when I read it, what am I looking for? I mean, well, why am I doing this? And I'll be honest, when every time I open my Bible and read, I ask God to speak to my heart. I'm looking for something. Well, what is it that we're looking for? We're going to talk about that next week uh, when we deal with meditation. Number three, interpretation. This is very important. This is where you get all kinds of weird ideas. Interpretation deals with the question, what is God saying? What is He saying? When he, when he wrote verse 12 of Hebrews 4, what was He saying? And what I did a few minutes ago, exegetically, was I just explained to you, interpretation-wise, what God was saying. Now, if we understand what He's saying and what the verse means, now we can go to number four, and that's application. This probably is the most important part, although they're all important. But this is where, if I'm going to learn how to study the Bible with life-changing results, how do I study the Bible so it changes my life? Number four is critical, because without number four, the first three won't change your life. When you add number four, that's when life change begins. Application. Observation, meditation, proper interpretation, but then it has to be personal application. Well, what is that dealing with? That's dealing with the simple question, what is God saying to me? Interpretation is what is God saying? The practical, primary interpretation of the verse. But then the next question is, but what is He saying to me? That's application. So we're going to deal with all four of those over the next four weeks and hopefully this will help you to better understand how to study the Bible so that you understand it and it changes your life. Okay? Let's begin today talking about the first one, observation. Now, there are some basic truths about the Bible that we have to accept. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, it is God's Word. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. We just read that. For the Word of God is living and active. It's God's Word. It came from God. It's not a book written by human beings. Now, God used all these human authors to pen His Word in written form so we could have it. 
And if we had time, we could go through how that was done and talk about the textual criticism and where it all came from. That's why it took me six years to learn all this stuff. We don't have six years, so we can't deal with some of that stuff. However, I have to ultimately accept by faith that this book is a supernatural book that came from God. It's God's Word. Number two, it is inspired by God and therefore without error. 2 Timothy 3.16 For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally it means was God breathed. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, teaching, for instruction, for discipline, for teaching about righteousness. The Bible is profitable. But the key is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It was God-breathed. God has never and never will make a mistake. Somebody says, yeah, but what if one of those people that wrote it down made a mistake? Well, do you think God looked down when Paul was writing the book of Romans and said, oh, no, Paul made a mistake when he wrote that verse down. What am I going to do? Or do you think God is just strong enough that if Paul started to make a mistake, God stopped him and said, no, that ain't right. Do it this way. It's God's book. It ain't Paul's. It's not Timothy's. It's not Peter's. It's not Moses. It's God's book. God breathed it. The men just put it down. God made sure they put it down right. Now, the actual truth is, if He didn't, go home today, burn every Bible you got, don't ever come back to church again, because you got no hope. The only way we know who God is, the only way we know who Jesus is, the only way we know how He wants us to live is this book. Without it, we're lost. And we have no hope. But it's God's book. Okay? So first of all, it's God's book. It was inspired by God. Therefore, there are no errors. One of the questions. I've heard that Paul contradicts Jesus in some places in the Bible. Is that true? Now you tell me, is that true or not? No. Why? Because of what we just talked about. God breathed it. If Paul started to make a mistake, God would have corrected it before it ever got pinned. Okay? So there are no contradictions. God breathed it so it is without error. All right? Number three. It is a supernatural and a spiritual book. Take your Bible and turn over to 2 Peter. Just a few pages over from where you are in Hebrews. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says, above all, you must understand. Remember what we talked about? Observation. There are certain basic truths about the Bible we have to understand in order to be able to study it properly. That's exactly what Peter was telling these people. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Yeah, but what if these guys put down their own ideas? The Bible just told us they didn't. No prophecy of Scripture, no part of Scripture is written down because it was one of these guys' own personal idea. Okay, well, how did it get here? Let's keep going. 
verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. In other words, the book wasn't written because some man wanted to write it. That's not where it originated. Where did it come from? But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's that accountability process. Some man didn't decide, I want to write this good book, which some people call it, the good book. It is a good book. But I don't know why people call it that. To me, that's degrading the Bible because there's lots of good books. This is the book. It's a good book, but it's God's book. The Bible says this book didn't come about because some guy decided, I want to write a good book. And so from his own ideas, out of his own will and desire, he sat down and started writing. God said that did not happen. How did it happen? Men, human beings, spoke from God as they were carried along or as they were guarded and governed by the Holy Spirit. He made sure they wrote what they were supposed to write. Now, I know that there are people today, if you get into text or criticism, you're going to get into one of the areas of text or criticism is the area of inspiration. How was it? Was it um, dictational inspiration? which means God dictated and they just like scribes wrote down every word that God said. Or were they allowed to write? God told them what to write and God let them use their personalities and their experiences to write down what He told them and He made sure that the truths and the words were exactly the way God wanted them to. The answer is, I don't know. And neither does anybody else. Unless they were there. Now, you will have theologians argue all day long about those two things. And, and here's what they do. Their premise is, but if it was this way, then their, if it was dictation, then their personalities don't matter. If it was their personalities, then they could have made mistakes. My premise is God said that His Word did not come by the will of man, but men spoke as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. I am just simple enough to believe that God is powerful enough to make sure He told them the right thing to write and the Holy Spirit's powerful enough to make sure they wrote it down the right way. And God preserved it so that the book that I'm reading is the very Word of God and I can trust it. Now you can spend all day long arguing over all them little nitpicky things that number one, the Bible doesn't tell us and number two, you're never going to get the right answer because nobody was there when it happened. But the truth is you weren't there when Jesus died on the cross either. You didn't see that either. But we believe it. Why? Because the Word tells us, and by faith we believe it. You know how I know it's true? One way I know it's true, it changed my life. I know it works. Okay? So don't get all caught up in all these silly arguments. All of that is intended by Satan to keep people from believing the Bible. That's all it is. Okay? So... It's a supernatural book. It's a spiritual book. And God made sure it was written the right way. Number four, it is the standard of truth. John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in His prayer to His Father. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now, I've given you several verses in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 128, verse 137, verse 142. 
verse 144, verse 151, and verse 160. Every one of those verses has one thing in common. It says the Word of God is the truth. In a world in which people question truth, and people want to say that there is no standard of truth, God says my Word is the truth. You can believe it. You can trust it. It is right. It is the truth. Then, number five, it is eternal. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Mark 13 verse 31, Luke 21 and verse 33, Psalm 119 verse 89, and Psalm 119 verse 152. All of these verses in the Gospels, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, my word will never pass away. In Psalm 119, the Bible teaches God's Word is eternal. It lasts forever. I wish I had time to share with you stories of the first century and how agnostics and atheists tried to destroy the Bible. In one instance today, on the very spot where an agnostic, atheistic man said he would destroy every Bible in the world, my understanding is there is currently a Bible printing factory on the very spot where he said that. You cannot destroy the Word of God. It's eternal. Books have come and gone. Books have been revised. Books have been changed. The Bible has never changed. And it has never gone away, and it never will. And when you come to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, and the unsaved are standing before the great white throne of God, a book will be opened called the Word of God. It's this book. They will be judged out of the things in this book. Okay? So, this, these are basic truths we have to accept. If you or I do not believe any one of these five things, we're never really going to be able to understand the Bible because we don't understand the kind of book it is. We don't understand the spiritual uh, impact it's supposed to have on my life. If I don't believe it's God's Word, if I think there's errors in it, if I think that one day it's going to be done away with, why would I want to base my whole life on it? So, these are basic truths that you have to come to grips with in order to understand the Bible, okay? Now, number three. We've seen the four basic aspects. We're talking about observation. There are not only basic truths about the Bible itself you have to understand, but there are, a few, there are four basic truths about the student of the Bible that we also need to understand. These four things about the student of the Bible make all the difference in the world as to whether or not the person studying it understands it or not. So let me give you these four things real quick. We've only got a few minutes. Number one, the Holy Spirit is necessary to understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit is necessary in order to understand the Bible. Take your Bible, turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 17. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. Paul says this, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who, who are perishing. Here's what I want you to understand as we begin to read through this. Notice what God says the attitude of an unsaved person is towards the Bible versus the attitude of somebody who the Holy Spirit 
is quickening their heart and causing them to understand it. Notice the difference. Paul, a saved man, believing the Holy Spirit, preaching under the power of the Holy Spirit, says, the words that I am teaching you, they're not human words. They're God's words. He was preaching the Bible. He said, they are the power of God to me. They're powerful. But what does he say about people who don't believe the cross? Those that are perishing, the lost. He says, to them, these words are foolish. They don't understand them. To them, it's foolishness. Let's keep going. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, by the way, it's written in Isaiah 29, verses 13 through 16. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligent, intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him. God is saying that the world in all its philosophers and all its brainiacs still can't figure out God. Because God can't be figured out with the human mind. It takes the Spirit of God to give a human mind understanding about God. That's why the Bible says that no man on his own seeks after God. God has to come after us. Okay, let's keep going. Look what else he says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was being preached to save those who believe. What was being preached? The Word of God. And to the world, that's foolishness. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, what is he saying here? What is he trying to tell us in these verses? That to an unsaved person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit to help them understand spiritual truth, the things and the truths of the Bible are foolish. Try explaining to an unsaved friend why you do what you do is because the Bible tells me I ought to do this. See what their response is. I have had several responses to some of those things, uh, not the least of which are, for example, have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? Do you know what you're doing? I have even had Christians say, when I tell them, well, God spoke to my heart. Here's what the Word said. Here's what God spoke to me about, what He was saying to me, and here's what I need to do about this. Are you sure? Well, if I wasn't sure, I wouldn't do it. The truth of the matter is, it takes the Holy Spirit in order to understand the Bible. That's why if you and I pick up this book like any other novel and just start reading through it, without any acknowledgement of our need for God, our need for the Holy Spirit, the characteristics of this book. It's just going to be another book. And it's no wonder people who read it like that don't understand it. It's foolishness to them. Now, there are some other passages of Scripture. Unfortunately, we don't have time to read them all. Uh, John 14 and verse 26. John 16, verses 5 through 13. These passages teach us that when the Holy Spirit comes... 
He will bring things to our remembrance and He will teach us all things. He is our teacher. How many of you have ever noticed that sometimes if I pray before we study, I ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher? Those verses in the Gospel of John are why I ask that. Because God said He will be our teacher. He will bring things to our remembrance. He will help us to understand the Scripture. Now there's another passage I want you to look over. You're in 1 Corinthians. Look over in chapter 2. Let me read you another passage real quick here. In chapter 2, it starts in verse number 4 and goes all the way down through verse 14. I'm not going to read all that. I want you to look with me at verse number 13. Um, Actually, let's back up to verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? Among other reasons. That we may understand what God has freely given us. Well, first of all, how do we know what God's given us? It's through His Word. He tells us. Like salvation. Like His Son. How do we understand that? By the Spirit of God that He has given us. That's what the verse says. We, we don't have the Spirit of the world. we got the Spirit of God. Why? So we can understand what God's given us. So we can understand this book. Verse 13. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. He helps me to understand the Scripture. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. It's a spiritual book. It's not a novel. There are spiritual truths contained in this book. And I need a spiritual teacher to help me understand that. Verse 14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Don't be shocked. If you start trying to talk about the Bible or explain what you're learning from the Bible to somebody who is either not a Christian or is not walking in the Spirit and has the Spirit of God giving him understanding, don't be shocked if he thinks you're crazy and he doesn't understand what you're talking about. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and you read them Scripture and tried to explain it to them and they say, well, I just don't see that. Don't be shocked. That's what Paul said right here. That, by the way, why when I gave this characteristic of the student of the Bible, I said the Holy Spirit's necessary. I didn't say salvation was necessary. you understand the difference? The Holy Spirit is the one, if I'm saved, He's the one that helps me to understand, not the fact that I got saved. When I got saved, I got Him. He helps me understand. But what about a person who's not saved? Does he not have to understand the spiritual truths of the Bible in order to be saved? Sure he does. Well, how is he going to understand it if the Holy Spirit doesn't open his eyes and cause him to see it? Well, when does that eye opening by the Holy Spirit take place? Prior to his being saved. So that he can get saved. So it's the Holy Spirit that you have to have in order to understand the Bible. Number two, real quick. I must have complete faith and trust in the Bible. Psalm 119, verses 41 and 42, verse 74, verse 86, and verse 138. All in Psalm 119. All of these tell us we can trust the Bible. God's Word is trustworthy. If I'm going to study and understand this and let God speak to my heart, I've got to have complete faith and trust in this. Have you ever been having your devotions or you've been praying and asking God to show you what to do? And you open the Scripture, 
and you read it, and it's almost as if he was sitting right there next to you. And, and he told you. I mean, you knew it. I mean, it's almost as if you could hear him saying it. And you, you, you're, you're praying for God to show you what to do. And you open your Bible and you start reading, whether it's a devotional book you're using or whatever, and you're thinking, oh my word, what a coincidence. It just happened to address the very issue I was praying about. Coincidence, hogwash. God just spoke to your heart. He just told you what to do. Have you ever said back, Now, Lord, are you sure that's what you mean? I don't know if I can do that. If I don't have complete faith and trust in this book, I can't stand on it for the decisions I make in my life. If I think there is any possibility it could lead me the wrong way, I can't do it. And I'll never fully understand it. Then number three, I've got to have a passion for it. Psalm 119, verse 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. In the book of Job, and you know Job, you know what he was going through. In Job 23 and verse 12, he said, I have kept every one of your precepts, and I have esteemed your very words more necessary to my life than my food. God, Your Word is more important to my life than the very meals I eat. Now let me tell you something. If Bill Crockett says that, you know it's got to be important. Because my food is really important to me. That's how passionate we've got to be about God's Word. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to wake up every morning turning cartwheels saying at 5.30 in the morning, Woohoo! Boy, I can't wait to read my Bible. I don't say that about nothing at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> However, once I get it and get it open and I get started, then the passion juices start flowing. You know, if Satan wants to stop me from doing something right, all he's got to do is stop me from beginning whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. If He can keep me from ever opening my Bible, then He's kept me from reading it, understanding it, and obeying it. So all He's got to do is just keep me from opening it. So that's what He works on the most. That's why, by the way, for every one of you, and listen, don't sit there and think you're so all spiritual. Every one of us battles the same stinking thing. The hardest part of studying the Bible is opening it. That's the hardest part. Once we get started... It's usually a little easier. It's getting started. It's hard. And I know it's hard for me. I'm 51 years old. I've been doing this since I was 19 years old. It's still hard every morning for me to get up and make myself do this. But once I get started, I'm glad there's a passion. Do you love the Bible? You know, the truth is if we believe all these things we've talked about, it's not hard to be passionate about it. If I really think that's the kind of book I got. And then the last thing, real quick. Consistent study and use. Four basic characteristics of the student. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have complete faith and trust in the Bible. You've got to be passionate about it. And you've got to be consistently studying and using it. Now, we're, we're going to talk about this more when we get into meditation and interpretation. But I've given you some verses here. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2. 
Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20, and Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. These verses all talk about the fact that we should be in the Word of God daily. You don't find anywhere in the Scripture where God says, Thou shalt meditate in my Word weekly, monthly, yearly. It has to be done daily. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 17, Moses is one of the children of Israel. They're about to go into the promised land, which you know he doesn't get to go to. He said, when you get there, you're going to eventually have a king. When you do, you need to make sure he is a man who will daily meditate in God's law and do everything it says. You've got to do it every day. The day that you and I wake up, that we realize this is the day I don't need God's help. That's the day you don't have to read the Bible. But how many of us are ever going to have a day like that? Never. Do you realize that we have the most miraculous, the most powerful, the most unbelievable supernatural tool and communication from God right here. Why would I not want to devour everything in it and learn what it says? If it speaks directly to me. If this is God, when I open this, if this is God sitting on the stool in front of me saying, Bill, here's what I want you to do today. Why would I not want to hear that? Now, I want you to understand as we close, Satan doesn't want us to hear that. Remember, we have our old nature, the flesh, and we have the new nature, the Spirit of God, that according to Paul in Galatians, fights for control of our lives. If I feed my new nature with the Word of God, and by the way, use, Hebrews 5, we mature spiritually when we use what God gives us. Just learning it don't help us to grow. We've got to use it. And we'll talk more about that later. But if, if, if that's what helps me to grow and become stronger and causes my flesh to lose all these battles, don't you think Satan's going to work overtime trying to make sure I don't ever feed my spirit? Sure he is. So I'm not telling you that if you don't jump up every day and just love to read the Bible every day, that spiritually there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just normal. But if deep in your heart you love God and you want to know what God says, you want to understand the Bible, that's where you start. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that. Okay. So, observation, meditation, interpretation, application. That's how we study the Bible so it changes our lives. The first thing we have to do is realize there's some basic facts about the Bible. We have to accept. And there's some basic facts about the student of the Bible that have to be true. That's where we start. We've got to observe those things. If those things, as we observe, are not true about our life, that's what we've got to fix first. Because the other stuff won't work until these things get into our life first. Okay? Now next week we're going to talk about meditation. What is it I'm actually looking for? What's the purpose of the Bible? When I open it and I start reading it, what am I supposed to look for? We'll talk about that next week. Okay? Father, thank You for Your Word. The miraculous way in which You gave it to us, the miraculous way in which You use it in our lives, and the fantastic truth that it's eternal 
and it will never go away. Father, help us to love it more. Give us courage and strength to spend time in it. Give us the wisdom and the instruction of the Holy Spirit so that we understand it. And give us the strength to obey it. Father, bless our week. Use us so other people will see Christ in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you, everybody. Have a good week.